Shut up and sit down. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada. You probably are wondering, where's Ben? Ben, like a bum, is on vacation and out of town. So it's, you just got me today. But I have a special treat for you guys. Uh, we are resuming our off-season uh, recaps. Uh, we've done the first five teams. And now we're moving on to the team that had the sixth worst record in the league last year, the New Orleans Pelicans. And joining me to talk about the Pelicans, I've got uh, the managing editor of the best-named site on our network. Uh, it's an amazing CBA joke and logo joke. It's pr- my favorite creation, The Bird Rights. Uh, I've got Ali Cosell, the managing editor, and I have Kevin Barrios, a contributor. How are you guys doing? Great, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. We are taking a nice little break from the Olympics. Just a reminder to all our listeners, you can subscribe to the Limited Upside podcast on iTunes. You can follow us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Uh, you can also follow us on the website. Leave us a nice little review. Uh, you know, Be nice. Uh, give us maybe five stars. I'll accept four if that's what it has to be. But uh, keep following us. And uh, let's get back into it. Uh, the... One thing that's happening right now that made me think of the Pelicans, and I'll, I'll connect the threads because I saw you guys talking about it over the weekend, is, man, Team USA misses Anthony Davis. Yes, they do, Mike. It's, it's amazing how, the, um, how Mike Krzyzewski, what he said uh, about four years ago, how important Anthony Davis was to the team. Actually, I'm sorry, two years ago at the World Cup, where you know Blake Griffin and a few others declined on participating, and sure enough, he and three both dominate the inside why because of the energy because of the rebang and because they can take up space like that at, at the click of a dime drop of a hat you name it just so we're clear ollie just snapped in case you couldn't hear it yeah i mean their defense is just so much of a disaster and davis was such a monster in the feeble world cup but uh you know i was thinking about that too because i think kevin i'll, I'll send a really simple question to you about how last year went do you think anthony davis had a good year based on what he should have been I don't think he had the year he should have had. If you look at the numbers, it looks like a good year, but it was an off year considering his talent level and his uh, physical tools and how he should be used in the offense and on defense as well. Why? What happened? First off, I, I consider him a facing big. I don't find him to be very comfortable when he has his back to the basket, and we traded a lot of pick and roll for post-ups this year, and the post-ups were really far away from the basket. And this was a problem going back to when Monty Williams was the coach, but also with Alvin Gentry is seems like every shot that we get Anthony Davis to start a game is a 20 foot jumper. Seems like we should be starting with a lot easier baskets to get him in a rhythm. He didn't look very comfortable. He didn't look engaged. I don't think he liked playing with his back to the rim. And also he's playing so far away from the basket. It's taken away the, his putback ability I find also that we uh, we got away from uh, getting him the ball in transition, which was already a problem with Monty Williams, but we got it got him the ball less in transition under Alvin Gentry, which seems incredible considering that you want to play fast break, fast paced basketball. Yeah, I mean that was a weird disconnect with how last season was. Alvin Gentry's supposed to come in and revolutionize what was 
probably a sort of a stagnant Monty Williams, or if the offense worked, but maybe not necessarily the way that people wanted to. Alan Gentry was going to come in, and they were going to play fast, and they were going to kind of move the ball real fast, and that was supposed to unleash Anthony Davis. And then, of course, everybody's hurt out of training camp, and so that the first month is just a wash, and things never really got better. They kind of started behind the eight ball. Why, I, Ollie, I'll, I'll ask you this, why was it so hard why, why didn't Alvin Gentry's changes really work? I mean, what? How? Where's the disconnect there? You know, why? Why wasn't it that we thought everything we thought was going to happen to unleash Anthony Davis didn't happen? Yeah, the main thing is with Alvin Gentry, the four in those high-paced offenses is out on the perimeter a ton. They're away from the basket, like Kevin alluded to, starting possessions outside of the rim, like around twenty feet, was no good. And the fact that the propensity for it went through the roof last year um what was it anthony davis i looked it up just a few minutes ago he had about a third of his shots come inside around the rim you know right around that 30 percent barrier in his rookie year that number was up around 50 percent now in addition with the way that offense was run mike um anthony davis wasn't crashing the glass for instance alvin gentry maintains we've got to keep that floor space so that includes anthony davis who you know is an elite athlete i don't know who's better at him and making the most spectacular plays, you know, grabbing the offensive rebound all in one motion, throwing it back down. He wasn't doing that last year. Why? Because they wanted to keep him out out on the perimeter to keep the spacing. That's how Alvin Gentry runs. If you watch Golden State Warriors last year, that's exactly how they run it. That's why Draymond Green is such a perfect fit at the four as to where putting Ant- pigeon, I would say pigeonholing Anthony Davis into that position just doesn't work, and it severely, severely limited him. As we can see, the numbers weren't a super drop-off, but they dropped off enough as to where he declined. I mean, last year was an incredible season, one of the best if you look by almost any metric. We should say that. He still put up some huge numbers. It was just that we thought this was going to be MVP Anthony Davis, and it wasn't that. Yes. The role pigeonholed him, Mike, like I was saying, and that's why people started looking down upon him. He was limited. He was really, truly boxed in. For instance, they threw up a lot more isolation plays on him, and that really spectacularly failed at the beginning of the year. And that really showed with the Pelicans all the injuries because there was nobody to get him the ball in the good spots. Drew Holiday was missing every other game. Tyreek Watt didn't come around to playing until December. So Norris Cole... Um, you name it, whoever was in Chester running the offense, Nate Robinson. That's right, I almost forgot about him. They had like a who's who of 10-day contracts out there for a while. It was kind of funny. You know, Ish Smith was had that dominating first month, but they were so bad, and so then they traded him. It, it's funny we're having this conversation now, because a year ago, again, I mean, I hate harping back to this. Like, we were all really excited about this. Like, nothing, all this talk of Davis shooting threes and playing out on the floor and using his quickness, like, that was sounded exciting. Like, did... And now we're taught, the way we're talking about it, it almost seemed like Alvin Gentry outsmarted himself with this system. You know, that's a good way to look at it. And I truly think, I'm not exactly sure who we can blame for this. That's what I've been thinking about. Is it Alvin Gentry because he wanted to keep Anthony Davis on a perimeter? Or is it because the uh, all the centers that were re-signed? You know, Del Demps re-signed Alexia Jensa, Omer Sheik to really big long-term contracts. And Gentry coming in, Mike, if you remember, Kevin... Um, he was promised almost an Andrew Bogut type of role. Now, why he would say that is beyond me, unless, of course, Anthony, they really wanted to keep him at power forward. They uh, got away from what they were doing because simply the, the, the roster, it didn't allow for Anthony Davis's talents to be maximized. There's two things that I noticed that I never really understood with this offense is that 
when I used to complain about the Monty Williams offense, it wasn't because we were running a lot of pick and roll. It was because we took 14 seconds to initiate the pick and roll. It was just too slow. But we sort of began to eliminate the high pick and roll from this offense. And when you look at Anthony Davis' most dominating games this year, it was because we were a heavy pick and roll with Tyreek Evans or with Drew Holiday. Both are excellent at running it. And it just seemed to have disappeared. And that's what's putting your two best players on the court at the same time in their best position. And Golden State runs this all the time. So I don't understand why it's not a, a major part of the offense anymore. Well, we're talking a lot about offense. And, you know, this is all very well and good. I think, again, just given expectations that, that what happened last year was a letdown on that end. But the Pelicans were also 27th in defense last year. And if you look at where what they were worse at, they were worse at defense. And to me, that's where I was most disappointed with Anthony Davis. I just thought he might turn into this dominant, game-changing defender. And I didn't think his effort was all the way there, especially early in the season. So to me, that's where I offensively I thought he was – I know – I think you guys are make really good points. He's got to get closer to the basket. And you guys have said on the blog and on Twitter that he's got to play the five. In part because, like you said, the fives that the, are currently on the New Orleans roster are pretty bad. And the lead just even if that's not an above-average power forward that can swing up to five and not Anthony Davis, you would want to do that. So that's a big part of it. But defensively, it was where this team, I think, really – kind of hit the bricks you know we can talk a little bit more about the offense but defensively is also to segue into the next part of this discussion what the pelicans really focused on this summer i mean especially in free agency we're talking some interesting moves i thought that they made they they bring in solomon hill from indiana who did not obviously had a very uneven season had some moments in the playoffs gave him a four-year 50 something million dollar contract uh they brought in Etwan Moore from Chicago, four years, $34 million. They bring in Langston Galloway from the Knicks for a lot less than that. And they bring in Terrence Jones kind of off the scrap heap. I mean, right, these are all, I mean, maybe not Jones, but the other three, very defensive-oriented moves for a team that was really bad on defense. Absolutely. The two things, Mike, it seems like they focused on this offseason was one, defense, as you mentioned. The other one was playing with effort, the intensity. Alvin Gentry and Kevin, I know you can attest to this, he remarked in post games at least 10 to 15 times about a lack of effort by the team. And you know what? Half the time it was obvious. Um, it's true. As you even said, Mike, Anthony Davis didn't seem like he was putting in that 110% every game. So they really wanted to change that, both of those factors. And I think they've done it. When I was looking at Solomon Hill up closely, his numbers, as from um, on NBA stats, the play type numbers, where you can look at either offense or defense for like transition, isolation, um, ball handler, all those positions. If you combine all that, uh, all the defensive numbers, he compares very well with Kawhi Leonard. Um, I found out that he's literally his equal, and as to where who they had last year at the position, Alonzo G, Dante Cunningham, and Tyreek Evans, they were honestly disasters. Um, it's what, what, what our eyes told us. The wings for the Pelicans, they were awful. Eric Gordon didn't do a very good job of keeping the guys in front of him. And whoever was a uh, small forward was usually a liability. Yeah, it was kind of a, ro- a rolling roulette of players. Now, I think you and I would both agree Solomon Hill is not quite Leonard. It's just that you're saying that uh, there is, in smaller minutes, there's potential for him to be a really good defender because he did really well in these smaller minutes, right? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for correcting that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not a correction. I just, I think, it, I think that makes a good point. I, the question I have with Solomon Hill, Kevin, is offensively. I don't know if he's a three. 
I mean, I think he played his best minutes at the four. I mean, are you, are you worried that maybe maybe New Orleans traded one problem for another here? Now the question is, can they score enough? I don't think so. Um, one thing that I really liked about the offseason is that they didn't throw a lot of cash at a big name to appease like the average fan. They made really smart basketball moves and addressed, uh, I called it like sort of a frag grenade method where they just threw out, used their cap in a, in a way that they brought in a bunch of people that fixed a lot of the problems. And I do agree with you. I think Solomon Hill's better at the four than at the three, which is okay because if you're going to play Anthony Davis full, mainly full-time at the five, having Hill at the four, and then Etwan Moore, which we'll talk about more later, I guess is a six-foot-four guy with a six-foot-nine wingspan. Combine that with Buddy Heald, who also has a six-foot-nine wingspan. You could play three guards at the same time, especially they're all plus defenders, which help have Davis at the five where he can play more of that free safety role we saw him playing under Monty Williams where he looked a little bit more engaged as far as Hill goes I looked at I've been watching a lot of tape of him recently and one thing that I do have to say is while his shooting percentage isn't very high his stroke looks really well looks really good so I think there's hope there and also he's a much better ball handler than I expected he's much better in isolation and also just his effort is incredible Ali alluded to that, like, if you go back and look at some of his tape from last year, there's, like, this really great double block that he did on Stanley Johnson against Detroit this past year, and he had a great chase-down block on Kevin Love. I mean, his effort is just unbelievable, and his footwork, he stays in front of LeBron James, in front of James Harden. He's really good uh, when he's getting posted up, so I'm very excited about the Hill signing. Yeah, I just want to add to this, Mike. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the offense taking a big decline. We saw a mash unit last year, a bunch of scrap heap guys get together and put up the same amount of points a game. What Gentry system demands is ball movement, making the open shot. And honestly, all these guys that they brought in can do that. Etwan Moore, he had a career year, I know, from the arc, and he's probably going to regress. But Solomon Hill, he's still working on his game. Like Kevin said, his shot looks good. So there's hope he can improve his efficiency. And Langston Galloway, another guy that can hit the three ball, the open three ball. That's I don't see how the offense is going to drop if they run it the way the team, the match unit finished last year, which is ball movement, which is what Gentry wants. He doesn't want Tyreek Evans, Drew Holiday, Norris Cole pounding it for half the uh, shot clock. So, no, I don't have any concerns the offense is going to drop off. As long as, hey, as long as I got to say this, Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis stay healthy. Those guys are going to be dependent on more than ever this year because of what's around them, the talent. Yeah, well, that's a big question for both of them, obviously. I I think I agree with you. I think the offense, the defense should be better. I mean, they could be top half of the league if they get our, their stuff together, and that would be a real step up for them. You know, Solomon Hill's an interesting player. I, you know, he got a lot of money, so he's no longer a diamond in the rough. But I've always felt that he, you, you mentioned his passing and dribbling skills. I think they are underrated. He's a little out of control sometimes, and I'm I'm a little less optimistic about his shot than you guys, but he has some some real skill and you know, it's just that now he's no longer a bargain. He's making a lot of money a year. He's four was it 13, 14 million dollars a year. I mean, that's that's a lot. So, it's no longer no longer a bargain, but I think he could be a really interesting fit and I like uh more in Galloway and you're right it, you, this brings us to what I think uh, we'll we'll get back to Buddy Heal, but I think what crystallized what Ali you just said is that now this team is really built around the two man game of Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. You know, you, you kind of have a lot of shooters and spot up. 
players and guys who kind of play off those those guys who aren't necessarily quite as good at creating their own shot as Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson. So this kind of centers the team around a certain identity in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I agree totally with that. I mean, you have your superstar and Anthony Davis, an all-star, former all-star guard and Drew Holiday, who for the second half of the season played like an all-star guard again, even though he started really bad to start the beginning of the year. Um, if he can stay healthy, if both of them can stay healthy, they're great. And now you have you have shooters, you have defenders, you have defenders that are flexible, that can play multiple positions. So there's a lot of interesting lineup things you can do um, with all of these guys. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'm really excited about Etwan Moore. Initially, when we signed him, I graded it out as a B minus. But as I've been like really researching him, I, he's been the player I'm most excited about adding to the team because I think he just provides so much flexibility and can allow Buddy Heal to come along slowly if he needs, or you can play three guards together with with uh, the kind of defenders that you have, which is really good. In January, the Bloggable did a post comparing him to Tony Allen with a jumper, which I thought was really interesting. Is a very good piece about his effort and his IQ and his ability to uh, play really good post-defense and guard backdoor cuts. He's physical and he doesn't draw fouls, which is really good. And he's, he, he can finish well through contact. He's finished well around the rim. He's not a super athlete, but he's good enough. And he's just a really smart player. The more I watch him, the more... It jumps out at me. I mean, obviously, his 45% from three is not going to be sustainable, but if he can hover around 37, 38, that's great. You mentioned Buddy Hield, Kevin. I sense that we are going to disagree on this, but I don't know if I see it really with him. I'm, I think they may have made a mistake with that pick, and I, I know you disagree, Ollie, so make your case for why Buddy Hield, that was the right pick, and he's going to really help them now and in the future. Well, first off, I know what you and I are thinking about. Most people aren't on this track. They completely just looked at how his shot was or was not falling in Las Vegas. That's incorrect. Nobody should base anything he did in Vegas. It, your shooting is one of the things that translate, and according to a lot of uh, sites, I can't remember some on top of my head, but they're predicting he's going to be the top shooter from the uh, behind the arc uh, amongst all the rookies. So we're not going to be concerned about Buddy Hill's shot simply because that's going to be the skill that translates. For sure. What has shown is that it, it, the shooters, the shots will carry over from college when they uh, shoot fantastic percentages from both behind the arc and uh, from the free throw line. Now, where we're going to differ is I know that I, I'm a lot higher on him in the playmaking department. Also, his other contributions like with the rebounding and defense. I think he's got potential to be able to do a lot of those things. For instance, in Vegas, I watched pretty much every possession and I saw a lot of his eyes up making passes that you know we didn't see in college he was he was strictly looking for a shot and i saw a different player in vegas now granted he he had a lot of turnovers but those assist numbers should have been stronger he was surrounded by some really bad teammates and had those teammates been a little bit better his assist numbers would have floated around in the five six seven range i think in almost every game and so when you pair that up against like two or three turnovers and he was the main focus of the offense every day or every game I think the potential is there, the playmaking, it's going to translate, and it's going to probably fit with what Gentry wants to do alongside Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I look at him, and he can't get by anybody, and I know he's not going to play with the ball in his hands as much, but even attacking closeouts against NBA athletes, I'm not sure that's there. You know, I, I think he passable fine. 
I didn't think he was bad, but I'm not sure that's like an otherworldly top skill. Again, defended fine. I'm not sure that's a great otherworldly skill. And he's also older than most of these rookies. Like I I think from a big picture standpoint, what I worry about is that New Orleans needs, you know, another guy to grow with Anthony Davis. And Heald is already much older than most rookies. And Jamal Murray was sitting there already might be better next year. I know different. Um, but maybe better and three years younger. So that's that's what I worry about. Mike, you're right about that first step. I did want to mention that as well. And that was noticeable. What he was trying to do, he thought he could still blow by everybody, just like he did in college. And Gentry and the coaching staff, every game afterwards, I heard them harping about it. And they were in his ear the entire game. you you got to work on your footwork. He's got to seriously work on his footwork, just like manager Ginobili. He, you know, he doesn't have to blow by people to be effective in that department. That's where I see the potential. It's not going to be based on the speed getting around the corner or something like that. No, no. It's going to be if he get, develops that craftiness. You know, when he met with Kobe Bryant in the NCAA tournament, that was the first thing Kobe brought up to him. He needs to work on his footwork, on reading the defense, and, you know, finding those creases to where he can find that advantage because speed's not going to be there. It's definitely not going to be. He's going to be one of the slower guys. So that that's why, I don't know, I'm holding out hope. I fall somewhere sort of in the middle of you guys. Like, I would have picked Jamal Murray if I was picking, but uh, Buddy Heald was a fine pickup for me. I wasn't upset about it. I think he compares a little bit to Michael Redd. That's uh, kind of how I see him. One of my main concerns with him is that we don't really have a guy that sets great screens. Like, Anthony Davis is not a good screen setter, and we're going to need to set screens and run him off of screens to get him open looks. But I do think he's going to have more open looks than he had in college. And like Ali said, uh, shooting, shooting. And if you're open, um, you should be able to knock it down if you can knock it down when you're covered in college. So I think he's going to, you know, I think he'll fall around, again, like around 39% from three, maybe 13 points a game to start. And uh, not having to carry the offense is going to be something that's going to help him out a lot because you're going to still have, Holiday and Davis on the court with them most of the times. And when you don't, you'll, still, you'll have guys like Moore and Galloway and Frazier that will set them up well. So I'm not that concerned. And I'm not concerned about his age either because one thing that I like about this offseason is we got guys who have experience and who are a little bit older, but they also still – they're ready to contribute now, but they also still can grow. They're still not, like, topped out. They're, you know, they're guys who will – Get, I think will get better, but they already have a bit of a jump start. So you're not waiting for 19-year-olds to catch up to Anthony Davis, which is something that I like a lot about the whole offseason approach. Well, so that's interesting because I think one of the criticisms of the, the Pelicans sort of on a larger perspective is that they sort of rushed this a little bit and they've left themselves a lack of flexibility or you know maybe less so this summer but certainly in the past with some of the trades they made for draft picks and so I do want to get to um, one question asked by our friend T at TM warning uh, reminder you can always send us questions by uh, emailing me at Mike Prada at SBNation.com or you can tweet me at Mike Prada SBN or the show at limited upside so this is a question from TM warning how do you think, if at all, the win-now mentality has been a problem for New Orleans in the past few years, and how can they balance it going forward? It sounds like you guys don't think it's a huge problem. I think it's a problem we can't worry about anymore. You know, the moves were made strictly because Tom Benson was interested in putting a winner on the floor in day one. That is the main reason why Dell Demps, I think, made the moves he did. 
granted, Dell Demps also believes in that young veteran type of player, but still it was in sync with what the ownership wanted. But now that we've kind of gotten over that arc, now that we've kind of going to have almost a brand new roster, was it, I think, eight new faces or six new faces, two resigned that were just added at the end of the year, something like that. Um, we're, and Tyreek Evans is entering his final year's contract. Same thing with um, Drew Holiday. So they're going to be able to move on from the mistakes. It's not, you know, it's not something I want to harp on anymore. But yeah, I can see why it was a concern before, but it's doubtful that they'll go down that same road simply because the moves that transpired this offseason, it shows the direction. They're trying to build around two superstars. They're trying to find more of those team-first guys that, you know, effort, defense, more rounded games. So I don't know. I don't think there's much to worry about going forward. Yeah, they're also not old, some of the guys they signed. They signed, I, again, it is it does kind of fit the young veteran timeline, but it's, you know, one of the things that always frustrated me about watching the Pelicans is that they just paired all these ball handlers together that, you know, weren't great defenders and took the ball away from each other. And now they have the complete opposite problem. I, want, I look at that team and I wonder, okay, if Drew Holiday is not making a play, who is? And it's sort of a weirdly refreshing, I think. I was really excited about what Tim Frazier did in the second half of the season. I, I have high hopes for him to be a good facilitator off the bench. And then I think Moore and Galloway are also good facilitators. I mean, they're not, they're not like star point guards, but they have the, the ability to create shots for other people. Yeah, it doesn't look like coincidence, does it, guys? Ish Smith comes in. He all of a sudden makes the uh, offense run smoothly. Anthony Davis is suddenly scoring 30 points a game again. And same thing with Tim Frazier. He comes in. I don't think it's that much coincidence. I think this team just needs that ball first guy, or I'm sorry, a pass first um, ball handler who can break down the defense and not look to score when he's making that initial drive. I think, honestly, it's that simple with these guys. They just get, need to have the right guys. And it, the roster, it seems like they made the moves and, uh, you know, as a reaction to how the season went. So it's going to be very interesting, like you said, Mike. I want to go to get to another question. This is from at Mike B. Godly, um, which actually is a good. We've talked a lot about uh, the offseason signings. He asks, "Who's the most important offseason signing that leads to a successful season?" I want to tweak that question a little bit and send it to you, Kevin. Who is the offseason signing that not enough people are talking about that will make a big difference? The two that I like the most are Etwan Moore and Terrence Jones. Um, I kind of touched on Etwan Moore already. Uh, Terrence Jones mainly because that guy was a really good player before his injuries last year. And even if you look at last year, which was supposedly a down year for him, he had, uh, uh, I think his PER was 13.5, and Harrison Barnes has never even reached a 13.5 PER in his career, and yet he was a max player. And this was the first time Terrence Jones had a, a huge dip to that level, and people were saying he can't play basketball anymore, which I never really understood. I mean, he's... Not a super athlete, but he's athletic enough. He's a good defender. Uh, he's a pretty decent shot blocker. He has good chemistry with Anthony Davis. They're friends. He's not a great jump shooter, but he has shown some progress throughout the years. Uh, he finishes well through traffic, which I like. And with his weight, he can play some five, mostly play the four, obviously. But when you talk about his contract, I mean, it's like, that is incredible that you could get a player that people thought was going to go for $14 million a year for like $1.5 I mean, it's just an absolute steal. If it blows up and he's terrible, then it didn't cost us anything. And if he plays you know, anywhere near the way he played in 2014, then it was an absolute steal. And the other positive thing is the first 
player we've seen that has taken a pay cut to play alongside Anthony Davis, which is very promising because, you know, you see that with LeBron and with, you know, the Spurs and all these other teams, like good players take a lot less money to, uh, to play on these teams to play with other good players. And we're now starting to see that here. Yeah. He has a history with Anthony Davis as well. Uh, they were teammates in college. Uh, I I mean, we don't know. We don't really know what his offers were. It it does seem a little weird that last summer, you, you know, you could have talked yourself into 13, 14 million a year for him. And he has the year he had, he just kind of his person persona non grata. And now he's available for one and a half million dollars. That's kind of nice. Uh, obviously if he has a great year, it's going to be a little tough to keep him, but that's, I would assume a good problem to have. Uh, so, I mean, most of these other questions we've kind of answered. We've talked about how often we should see Anthony Davis at the five next year. It sounds like both of you guys say, yeah, all the time. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, about Davis taking more threes and all that stuff with the offense. Um, we talked a little bit about Buddy Heald's uh, – you, you guys talked about what you hope he can become. I mean, what – I think if he, you guys have said if he averages 13 points a game this year on 39% shooting, I think that the Pelicans are going to do backflips. I think that would be great. I mean, what's the down? Is there a worst case scenario for what Buddy Heald's floor ceiling is? I mean, what, where, where do you, what's your pull? This is a question from uh, uh, at ne- Neo Nirvana. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, what's the floor ceiling for Buddy Heald, Ollie? Yeah, the floor is scary. Um, let's say that his shot, he has trouble getting his shot off, and nothing else comes through. Like the playmaking, that's a bust. He can't rebound as well as he did in college because the guys are just simply bigger and more athletic. The floor is pretty low. Um, it's not Austin Rivers low. Nobody can go that low, I don't think, ever again. But um, let's say, for instance, he gets, you know, he's going to be stuck on a bench the entire year. He won't see the starting minutes and then you know he starts with say about 20 to 25 minutes a game and gentry's forced to just play him about 15 because he's just not catching on so what he produces say six or seven points a game you know and then just miserable numbers all around after that um that of course that's a floor that i don't foresee happening but it could happen and uh but the ceiling mike i kind of like what you said about the 13 to 14 point range um you know, being fairly consistent from the outside and dropping a pass here or there, helping out in the rebounds here or there. That's kind of the upside I see, at least for this season. Yeah, I, I think that would be great, and I'm not sure I see it. Kevin, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'd say, like, maybe his floor would be, like, Nick Stauskas or something like that, you know? They're kind of similar size. You know, well, I mean, it is bad, but I don't think he'll be that bad. I mean, we got to pick... You know, a floor. A floor is a floor. Um, I don't think his floor is Jimmer Fredette because you know he at least has size. I think you know at least Nick Stauskas is a little bit taller, and uh, so is Buddy Heald, and could be able to get shots off better because of his height and his size. But yeah, I th- I don't think it's going to be that though. I mean, I think he's cl- like I said. I think he'll develop into like sort of a Michael Red kind of player eventually, right? Yeah. Again, that would be, I think if that happened, that would be great. And that would prove me wrong about my, my thoughts on Buddy Heal's upside that I do not see. And, you know, I for your sake, I hope that I am wrong in this situation. Now, now, big picture, do you guys think the Pelicans are done this year or next? I mean, they have, 
There have been some rumors about uh, them wanting to get an actual center and not the kind of dead weight they got in the middle right there. Um, obviously, Tyreek Evans' contract is up after next year. Now, he is injured entering the season, uh, which came out recently. I mean, are we? do we think that this is the roster that the Pelicans are going to bring into opening night, what it is right now? I think so, Mike. I think it's fair to say that. They've explored, from what I've heard, all the trade avenues that they can at the moment with Tyreek Evans' injury and Ashik's down year, nobody's willing to go there yet. I think a lot will change before the trade deadline, however, especially with the teams that don't meet the salary floor that are going to need to add either some salary or they don't mind the dead weight. Like, for instance, a Tyreek, it, it, it's still to be seen whether he's even going to play this year. I think it's honestly that much up in the air right now regarding him. Wow, um, really? Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. So... Um, I'm honestly not planning on seeing him playing any minutes for the team. Um, I'll say that right now. So what's his deal exactly? He's got the same injury he had that ended his year last year. It's just bad surgery recovery. What's going on? Yeah, from my hair, it's just the knee um, isn't responding to the debridement he had last May. Um, he had some kind of setback over the summer. Um, and it kind of shows when you looked at his Instagram page, I don't know if anybody's looked at it in a while, it shows him working out a lot, but guess what? He's not jumping. He's not running. He's not springing off that knee. So it's like he's trying to make a point. And, and, you know, and what's funny is he started posting all this stuff right after Gentry revealed at Summer League that he was going to start the year um, on the sidelines. So it's like there's almost a disconnect already. Tyreek's trying to prove, hey, I think I'll be good to go. Or he's for some reason, it's out there where he's being a little controversial <laughs> with what the Pelicans have said so. I don't. I don't know. I, I see this maybe going down a bad road. To be honest with you. Wow. Well, that is a very interesting and, you know, like you said, they've sort of moved away from Evans' style of game. Uh, but man, what a fall for the guy in a couple of years. And wow, you don't even think you might not see him much this year. That is nuts. So I'll I'll turn this question to you, Kevin, as we kind of start to wrap this thing up. What's the starting five next year? I mean, wh- who do you think is going to be in the starting lineup? I would like to see us be kind of flexible with the starting lineup. I think if you're playing a team that doesn't have like Boogie, DeAndre, Marcus All, uh, Stephen Adams, Andre Drummond, you start Holiday, Heald, Moore, Hill, and Davis. But if you're playing a team with a big, then start out with Holiday, Moore, Hill, Davis, and Ashik, and then bring Heald off the bench, and then move Davis, you know, to the five, so that Davis doesn't have to take the beating of playing such bigger guys on those nights. But the good news is there aren't that many dominant, huge, uh, big centers anymore. So uh, on most nights, you can start Davis at the five. Did you play Terrence Jones and start him? I mean, that, that is a small starting lineup. I mean, that's a tweak that could happen if it's not working out. But I, I kind of feel like you should try to play your game and make the other team adapt a little bit sometimes, too. You know, you don't have to always adapt to um, what everybody else is doing. Um, make them react to you. Because you can use your speed, and I, I think uh, Hill's shown that he can guard. I mean, he, if you look at him going against LeBron James, if you can go against LeBron James like that, I don't know why you can't handle any of the other fours in the league. Yeah, he he uh, he does play well playing up. So that that's an interesting thought. I, I guess I had looking at the team, it makes sense. I mean, so you you guys think there's no hope for Ashik at this point? I mean, he was pretty bad last year. The thing about Ashik is I think he's just never recovered from a back injury. And he's at an age where it's just going to constantly bother him. And I think he can never return to uh, what we saw him in Houston. And he may have a couple of good weeks here and there like he did last year. He put together like a span of two weeks here and there where he looked adequate. But 
I just don't think he's comfortable. I don't know. Um, but I'm not so inclined to bring on another center. I would like the idea of playing Anthony Davis. They're waiting to see if uh, in the new CBA, if we have an amnesty clause, amnesty him then. I don't want to attach an asset to trade him. You know, with Anthony Davis and hopefully Diallo can develop into a guy who can play some time at the, at the uh, five as well. And Terrence Jones could log some minutes there as well. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. That Ashik, I don't think we can hope for him to return to what he's been. He, I know he was injured to start the year, but he supposedly got over that. And you know, he's just not—he doesn't ex- exude that same quickness. That because with him, he doesn't have the athleticism of verticality, but he had it horizontally. Where for a seven-footer, he could cover a heck of a lot of ground and stay with a lot of the perimeter players even. And last year, that wasn't happening. And uh, the numbers, the defensive numbers show that. He barely made a difference inside the paint when he was in the game. And overall, he was a net negative on defense on the team last year. So if there's any kind of improvement, it's not going to be much. But I think this his downfall, his, uh, his peak, he's peaked. He's already peaked. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to leave it at. Yeah, and if he's not really helping on defense, he might be the worst offensive set in the league. Just no, like no ball skills, no... No shooting ability, no passing ability. The teams just ignore him. So if he's not contributing on defense, then, yeah, what is he doing out there? So I, I'm thinking more about the Pelicans next year, and I kind of think they're due for a bit of a bounce back. Now, the big question always is health with this franchise. As you know, Well, actually, let's ask this. I mean, are you still worried that you know the team doesn't have the right, you know, whatever, if it's training, if it's sort of – medical doctors or whatever i mean are you worried about another rash of injuries i mean uh, that this is something that can be that the team just is going to be i don't want to say snake bit because i think they can prevent it i mean is this is this a fear are you worried about you know another rash of injuries coming i mean you always have to worry about that with this team it would be naive not to uh, what we've seen since since anthony davis has been here it's just been uh, a ton of injuries every year so you have to worry about it. But the good news is there was a high roster turnover. So you're bringing in a lot of new guys. You're not counting on Ryan Anderson or Eric Gordon anymore. You still have Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis has missed a lot of games as well. But at least you brought in some new guys who seem more uh, reliable. Ollie, have they done anything new on the training side? No, I haven't heard anything yet. Uh, we'll, I'm sure, find that out on media day. But hopefully, fingers crossed, Mike, they needed to do a lot. I don't know if you heard the story, but they brought over, I think it was a strength guy from the Spurs. Okay. And he made a and, – no, but this was last year. They brought somebody in, and uh, he made the comment that we're catching up to the rest of the league, that in time um, we're going to get more funding. He alluded to more funding being put into that part of the, uh, the business. Uh, I don't know whether he was referring to the equipment, to the, the actual – training staff you know the doctors any of the members but he made the comment where he basically said we're not you know spending as much as the other guy and in time but in time we hope to and then that that was shortly retracted a little bit later and Del Dump spoke and said you know he did he gave us the company line of where you know Tom Benson spends everything and the Pelicans do everything to their abilities and cover every dime that they can but I, I just found that interesting that that comment came from a guy that was just hired and he saw that there were problems and that they tried to kind of cover it up basically, cut, sweep it under the rug. So, like, yeah, I haven't heard anything, but they need to make some moves. And until then, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I can't say with a certainty the Pelicans will make the playoffs ever until I see that at least confidently that they're matching the rest of the franchises in this league, you know, where they're, you know, putting the money in basically, got the right personnel, staying on top of the technologies. 
Yeah, you also hit on the big elephant in the room, which is the shaky ownership situation and the Benson's fight and the sharing with the Saints. And that is, you know, all of that just makes me so nervous uh, because I kind of like the basketball team that they've assembled. Like, I think they made some really interesting moves. I really like, you know, they paid a lot of money for some of these guys, but I think they were the right kinds of moves to kind of, again, center the team around that holiday Davis pick and roll that under Monty Williams, I thought was really successful. And they sort of got away from that last year for various reasons. And now it's really centered around them. They can put out lineups with shooting, although I am concerned about their wing depth uh, as, you know, we don't know what Quincy Pondexter's knee is going to look like, and they need his shooting. Uh, they don't have Solomon Hill's shot. Not sure it's there. But they can now roll up Linus with more shooting and, again, much more importantly, better defense. I th- I'm kind of thinking that this might be a playoff team next year. And Am I am I getting a little ahead of myself there? Like I think they may be due for a bounce back. I, I think so. When I look at it, I think the West overall got better, but our division itself got a lot weaker. You look at um, Houston; they have a going to have a huge drop off in defense. Um, <laughs> That's I mean, putting it mildly. <laughs> you know, like Capella is going to look like a windmill back there with, yeah. uh, you know, like arms <laughs> flying around with just free guys running for, off the perimeter at him all game. Um, then you also they're relying on injury prone guys like Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. You look at Dallas age and injury prone players; they invest a lot of money in Harrison Barnes, who I don't really think is a very good basketball player. Memphis is getting old. They have a lot of injury-prone injury players. They invest a lot of money in Chandler Parsons and his bad knees. So I think in our division, I think, we're, I think we should come out second if we stay healthy, uh, you know, behind Antonio. Huh. And then, but I don't think that's, I think that gets us the seventh or the eighth spot in the playoffs because I just don't think our division is that strong outside of San Antonio. Ali, you agree? I don't think we've got that much of a chance to move up within our own standings. Granted, I like the kind of look you took there, Kevin, but I'm not that hopeful everybody's going to suffer injuries as to where we're going to be the lucky ones and somehow make it through. Um, I don't think it works like that for us. But I do think that we have a very good chance of making the playoffs for a seventh or eighth seed. Uh, I think Portland's going to be a question mark. Um, there's Outside of the Clippers, the Warriors, and um, the Spurs, the Thunder, they should go ahead and you know be penciled in. But other than those teams, you know, there's just question marks with every team. And I, I think that it's going to come down to injuries with almost any team. And if the Pelicans kind of avoid them for a change, they're going to be right there. I don't see how they cannot be. Yeah, it is a weird mix of teams. You didn't mention Utah, who I think could be really good. Uh, Yeah, and then there's obviously, we'll see how good Minnesota is next year. Maybe we're expecting too much too soon. Maybe we're not. But, yeah, I look at at the team, and they're, they're much more built to play Alvin Ball than they were last year. I mean, they that team, I think we kind of thought that Alvin would come in and they had they had won 45 games and he would sort of change the games of some of the players that they had and he found that it's just really first of all they got so many they had so many injuries that he never was able to install what he wanted to do and second of all it's kind of hard to change the games of guys like Eric Gordon and Tyreek Evans and some of the guys they had now they have players that make a little more sense there and even though I'm not particularly high on Buddy Heald at least you can kind of he has to be guarded on the perimeter and you could kind of play him so it's a really interesting mix of players with some upside, and I, I'm thinking that Anthony Davis has a big bounce back year, but we will see how it all goes. Uh, I'm hoping it does, because I, I think uh, one of my favorite 
some of my favorite games to watch were some of those playoff games in New between uh, those late season games at least two years ago. I mean, the game against the Spurs, and obviously the game that that the Pelicans lost in heartbreaking fashion in the playoffs. You know that that felt like a, a market that was starved for something. You know, New Orleans as a market gets a bad rep, but uh, I think they're due. I would like to see that fan base get something. And so I think, I kind of think they're going to be a playoff team next year, but we will see. I know that would be great for, for you guys. So um, any final thoughts from either of you on uh, the team's off season, some things we, we think that you think fans maybe should be taking a look at and not overlooking uh, as key factors for the season that we have not discussed yet. I think one thing you mentioned um, is about, you know, like having, not being able to fill out the three yet. Um, and I get that. I think we don't have a lot of depth there, which is why I think we're going to play a lot of three-guard lineups um, and a lot of small ball. But I think you can't fix everything in one offseason, and we fixed a lot in this offseason. And it's one of the reasons I don't want to make a trade for like a Kenneth Farid or a Greg Monroe. I want to save some cap room, and maybe you can make a run at Gordon Hayward next year to play the three. And then you could play, uh, you know, Holiday, Heald, Hill, Hayward, Davis together. That would be a, pr- a really good lineup, you know. I just think we shouldn't try to solve everything in one go because you might handicap yourself in the future. Do they have cap room next year? I guess they have They have Holiday to worry about, but he has a lowish cap hold, I believe. So they may be able to get there, right? So they- And Evans comes off the books. And then if you could maybe unload a Jensa or a... Uh, or Ashik even, you know, and you might be able to create some more more space. Yeah, I'm in agreement. The one thing I wanted to point across is I get this question often a lot. Mike, we, we kind of touched on all the bases here. It was, did we replace enough of the offense with the defense? Um, and I say yes. The Pelicans were awful last year when it came to getting out on spot-up shooters or defending pick-and-rolls. Uh, if you look at the individual metrics, almost the entire team was bad in both of those departments. And you look at the guys that came in, guess what? They're pretty good in most of those departments. So I, I think it's going to show that whatever we lost with Gordon, with Anderson, and maybe even Evans, like I said, I don't know whether he's going to play or not. Um, I don't think I'm too worried about that net. I think it's going to be as to where the defense is honestly going to be that much more improved than whatever drop-off we're going to have in the offense. And I know fans have been really worried about that, but I think, I think it's going to show. So you hear that, Alex Sherman at Shermanator1056. There's your answer uh, to your question about uh, will the defense be able to make up for the loss of Gordon and Anderson. We are are men of the people here on the Limited Upside Podcast. Thank you guys so much for coming on. That is, again, Ollie Cosell, the managing editor, and Kevin Barrios, uh, contributor for the Bird Rights. Again, my favorite name site on our network because it's both a CBA joke and a descriptive thing for your logo. I don't whoever came up with that, that is brilliant. For us, we this is the sixth again out of uh, 30 off-season team-by-team reviews with our many SB Nation communities, our fantastic writers that make up our 30 team sites. So we've already this is we've already done uh, Philadelphia, the Lakers, we did uh, Brooklyn, we did Phoenix, we did Minnesota and now New Orleans. We got Denver coming up next, and then Sacramento, and then we look to the Knicks and our friend Seth Rosenthal. Uh, and then after that, who And then we're looking at uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. So those those four teams are coming right up uh, on these offseason previews. Do stay tuned. And we Ben and I will probably be back and have some thoughts on what's going on with Team USA because this is getting a little nerve-wracking, guys. I'm kind of worried we might have a repeat of the women's soccer tournament. Uh, 
uh, with an early loss to a team that can pick us off. But I hope that's not the case. Anyway, again, subscribe to the Limited Upside podcast on iTunes. Leave us a review. Please be kind. Uh, And until next time, this is the Limited Upside podcast.